Hey, welcome to the Impact Podcast. Thanks for tuning in. We hope this week's message is a blessing to you like it was to us. Let's go ahead and jump into it. Uh, Romans chapter 12, verse number 2. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Everybody say, don't be conformed. Be transformed. Amen. Tonight I want to preach on the topic, the tragedy of conformity. Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you for the opportunity to be in your house tonight, God. We thank you for this opportunity that we've had to worship you and to lift up and glorify the name of God. Lord, we praise you for the opportunity that we had to pray for one another, God, and encourage those new to their walk with you, Lord. Lord, we pray that you do a work in that arena. But God, we thank you for the pinnacle moment of tonight, God. That is that we get to hear the authentic word of God. Lord, we get to be partakers of the word of God that is quick and powerful, God. The word, Lord, that you said that you hold above your name, God. Lord, I pray that you would anoint my lips, that I would not speak as a mere man, but an oracle of God, that I might not speak with enticing words of men's wisdom, but with a demonstration, power of the Holy Spirit. God, I pray right now that you anoint every young man and every young woman's ears, God. Let the word that comes from my mouth, God, go into their ears, that it makes its way to their heart, God. Lord, and if there be any hard ground in that heart, I pray that before my word, my words get there, God, that your spirit would race before those words, God. Break up the hardness of their heart so that when the word arrives, it may be planted in the good ground of their heart in the mighty name of Jesus, that fruit may come from it. We pray all this in your name. Everybody say amen. 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 Hallelujah. Last week, we began a series on transitional chapter of the book of Romans, right? Paul the apostle wrote many epistles to many churches across Asia and Asia Minor. He wrote the book of Philippians to the church of Philippi. He wrote the book of Ephesus. Really, it was a letter to the book uh, to the church in, in Ephesus. He wrote the, the book of Colossians to the church of Colossae, right? And so Paul wrote these letters and he would send them. Hey, one such letter that Paul wrote to the church was to the church in Rome. That's why we call it the book of Romans. And Paul, in many of his letters, he would, he would dedicate the first part of his letters to this concept of doctrinal aspects, right? He endeavored as the apostle to teach the young church. He taught them doctrine. He taught them theology. He taught them how to behave. He taught them about the concept of grace mercy and salvation and carnality and the flesh and all of these elements that it takes to understand how to live a victorious Christian life. But in every single one of those letters, Paul would transition from the theological doctrinal aspects of educating the church that God had given him charge over. And he would spend the remaining part of that letter as he wrapped it up with this concept of practical application. So basically, Paul would say, I taught you this theology. I taught you this thing on how a believer ought to behave. Now I'm going to show you how to live it out. And so, and when Paul wrote the letter to the church of Rome, he spent the first 11 chapters teaching them doctrinal theology and how to behave and how to act and how to understand. And in the book of, to the church of Rome, it was specifically this doctrine of salvation and what it meant to, to experience salvation. And so he starts out in Romans chapter one and he says, listen, you know, uh, this thing was meant for 
for the Jews that Jesus Christ, when God, when God came and he came to the Jew first and then to the Gentile and, and, and the Jews didn't receive him and he dedicated an entire chapter talking about the elect of God, the Jews who, who rejected the cornerstone, who rejected Jesus Christ and rejected who that Jesus came from and the promise of Abraham. And so he transitions to chapter two and says, but hey, we've got the Gentiles. Everybody say, that's me. All right, we're all Gentiles unless you're Jewish. And so uh, Paul began to speak about how um, that this grace and this salvation was available to the Jew first. But in chapter two, he began to talk about the Gentiles. And then in chapter three of the book of Romans, he talked about how the Jew and Gentile, no matter what type or what category you fall in, in Romans chapter three, that all of you have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So whether you're Jew, you're the elect of God, you're a Hebrew, you're born into the lineage of Abraham, or whether you're a Gentile, you're a European, you're American, whatever it is, regardless of whether you are a Jew or a Gentile, you all have sinned and all have fallen short of God's glory. Then he spends chapters four and five, and he states that due to the sin that comes to all men, that sin separates us from God. And only by the grace of God will we have the right to stand before God again. Then he transitions over to Romans chapter six, and Paul once again begins to ask this question that he knew everybody was thinking. He says, well, if it's the grace and the mercy of God that saves me, does that mean I can continue to sin and do the things that I used to do? So Paul kind of asked the question in the room that everybody was thinking that if it's really just God's grace that saves me, if it's God's mercy that saves me, then technically I ought to be, brother Paul, able to do whatever it is that I want to do. I should be able to continue sinning if the grace of God abounds. And Paul said, no, 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 no. That's called cheap grace. That's called making a mockery of the grace of God. No, you cannot continue sin because you know that grace does much, more, does much more abound than your sin, that we should not cheapen the grace of God. And unfortunately, I feel, and just a little side sermon here for a minute, I feel as Brother Caleb was talking during the time of exhortation after worship, that's what's happened to so many, specifically in the American church. We have made a mockery of the grace of God. We have made a mockery of the mercy of God. We have cheapened it so much to the point where it holds little to no eternal value. We say, well, I'm once saved, always saved. Or I prayed the prayer and I can never lose my salvation. Friend of God, I don't have time to go there tonight, but I will encourage you to read Hebrews chapter 6 verses 4 through 7. And it specifically talks about how that you can basically through your sin fall away from the grace of God and essentially re-crucify Christ again. And so we can't cheapen the grace of God by coming up and praying some weak need, yellow bellied prayer. The pastor says and say, Lord, forgive me. No one always that before the night's over, you're going to be back on that website again. You can't come up here and pray that prayer and say, God, forgive me, knowing all well that when you're with your girlfriend later tonight, the hand's going to start wondering. And here he goes again. He's harping on relationships. You better believe I'm harping on relationships because that relationship is the single most thing that's going to distract young men and young women, and it's going to steal, it's going to kill, and it's going to destroy because you think that it's meaningless. You think it's just having fun. You think think it's just doing what everybody else does. And as long as I pray, as long as I make it right with God, then God will forgive me. Come on. I was a teenager once, y'all. I know about premeditated sin. Come on. It started when I was a wee little lad. When mom said, don't go out there and play in front of the, don't go out there and play in those streets or you're not allowed to go beyond this block. And come on, anybody ever get boundaries when you were little kids? Come on, now they don't let kids play outside because there's 
freaks out in the world, but still, back in the day, they used to let us play outside, Emerson, and they used to say, you know, um, stay within this block. Don't go here. Don't go there. And I remember I'd get right up to that edge, and I'd look around, and I didn't see Mama. I'd look around, and I didn't see Daddy. All I saw was my little brother, and he was looking behind me going, because I was the big brother and where I go he goes and we just stepped outside the line and I remember telling myself mom will never know dad will never know but I and I know this is just a silly example but God knew God knew amen and so you could you may get away with it for a season amen you may get by with it for a little bit you may get by with your attitude for a little while but eventually you're born so many bridges, you'll find yourself alone and you'll act like that you never got it, you never did anything. You act like you never walked in sin. But again, we continue to cheapen the grace of God. So Paul said in Romans chapter 6, Paul said, no, you can't continue in sin so that grace may abound. You can't continue in sin so that, so that you make a mockery of the grace of God. And then in Romans chapter 7, he's begins to talk, well, why is it then? That if it's the grace of God, why is it, Paul said, that I end up doing the things that I didn't want to do? What I would do, I don't do. And then the things that I want to do, I don't do. Why is it that I have to deal with this? And then Paul answers the question. It's called your flesh because your flesh is empty. In Romans chapter 8, he transitions. He says, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. For those that walk after the flesh, do mind the things of the flesh. For those that walk after the spirit, the things of the spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace in Christ Jesus, right? He said, don't make a mistake about it. This is your flesh that would make you do those things that you want to do and the things that you want to do for God, you don't end up doing because your flesh won't let you do it. And then he goes on to Romans chapter nine. He says, because of our sin, we must realize that there's no human effort that leads to our salvation only by the sovereignty of God. But before we think in Romans chapter 10, that as humans, we don't play a role in salvation because God will ultimately just decide who gets to go to heaven or hell. Paul debunks this myth and he urges us that as preachers of the gospel, as men and women of God, that we must preach the gospel. So yes, it's, it's God's sovereignty, but listen, it's, it's, we play a role in it as well. God ultimately is sovereign. And yes, God knows who ultimately will choose or not to choose, but there still is a choice. This is what Paul begins to discuss in Romans chapter 10. And he said, you play a role as a preacher because how are they going to believe if they don't first hear the word of God? And how are they going to hear the word of God if they don't first become preachers? So for how will they believe if they don't hear? And how will they hear without a preacher? So Paul says, listen, this thing doesn't happen by human intervention, but it does. You play a role in it as humans to be preachers of the gospel and telling people. And then in Romans chapter 11, Paul says, listen, it may look like the hearts have been hardened in these last days, but God hasn't changed his mind about his love and his compassion for them. And then all of these chapters are God's attempt through Paul's writing to get you and I into this concept of right theology, into this concept of right doctrinal living. And because we know that right theology ultimately leads to right thinking and right thinking will ultimately lead to right living. And that is the goal. We get into Romans chapter 12 now, verse one, Paul says, I beg you, therefore, transitional word, we're transitioning from the doctrinal aspects to the practical application, how we're going to apply everything we just learned in chapter one through 11 to our life. And he says, therefore, because of one through 11, I beseech you, therefore, brother, by the mercies of God, that you present your body as a living sacrifice. 
sacrifice. And this is where we explored last week. One of the first practical applications that you and I can do in our life to present ourselves as a living sacrifice. That means in Galatians chapter two, verse 20, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live, I live by the faith of the Son of God who saved me, loved me, gave his life for me. That is how we are to live, is to take that filthy, carnal, no good for nothing scoundrel flesh of yours, put it on the cross, be crucified with Christ, because that thing has got to die so the great spirit on the inside of you can live. And the reason the spirit of God isn't alive and well in the church like it needs to be is there's too many people at the cross, but not enough people on the cross. We must be crucified with Christ. So the goal here is right theology leads to right thinking and right thinking ultimately leads to right living. And that is the goal. So it's the goal of Romans 12 to transition us from theology to living, that living sacrifice. So last week we talked about the what, the living sacrifice. This week I want to talk in verse two, the how. How are we to be a living sacrifice? And I'm going to go ahead and, and, and ruin the sermon by telling you there's two ways. Be not conformed and be transformed. Those are the how. Paul says you've got to be a living sacrifice. You've got to present your body as a living sacrifice to God. That's what you must do as a believer of God. How do you do it? You do it through not being conformed to this world, but being transformed. How? By the renewing of your mind that is in alignment with the word of God. So verse one deals with committing to God, while verse two deals with sustaining that commitment. Somebody say amen. amen. So first of all, be not conformed. It means do not be fashioned or formed by the system of this world. Amen. Do not be fashioned or conformed to the system of this world. How many of y'all have ever, ladies, I'm gonna to talk to you for a second. How many of y'all have ever cut your hair because of the way you saw somebody else cut their hair? Come on, you ever styled your hair? Matter of fact, every time you go to the stylist, you all pull out your phones, Pinterest, and maybe it's just my wife and my daughter, right? But you all pull out your phone. You be looking, this person, that person. Ooh, that look good. And then this person, that person. And then you go to your stylist like this, right? That's called being conformed, right? That's saying, I like the way this looks, and I want to look like this, so conform me to this image. And that is what the enemy is doing. He's got a plan for you, Emerson. He's got a plan for you, Harry. He's got a plan for you, Hope, to get you to conform to a certain image. He doesn't want you walking in love. He doesn't want you walking in joy. He's got his catalog. He's got his catalog of evil up there. He's like, oh yeah, gossip. That's a good one. Oh yeah, hate. oh envy. Oh strife. Let's talk about self-image problems. Let's talk about bitterness. Let's talk about anger. Ooh, selfishness. That's a good one. And he says, conform to this image because if you want to be like everybody else and you want to fit in like everybody else, you must blend in and be like everybody else. Conform. Conform. Conform your behavior to the way the world does it. Conform your attitude to the way the world does it. Conform your communication, your entertainment, your vocabulary. Listen, child of God, you ought not talk like the world. Come on, I know they got their little fancy little urban hip dictionary things that they say. But listen, be not conformed to this world. Come on, we talked about it last week. I don't talk like I used to talk. He made the difference. Come on, we can't talk like we used to talk if we're acknowledging the difference that Jesus Christ made. So some of y'all need to check your vocabulary. 
Don't be conformed to this world. And I could go on and give you a checklist of a bunch of things. You ought not be like this world. But listen, if you don't have enough sense, and that is the problem, and it's one of my points, so I'm going to get there. I'll just go there now. Listen, the problem with so much of the church today is that they haven't defined boundaries because of ignorance through the word of God of what is in scope and out scope for sanctified righteous living so everything goes like the book of judges they did what was right in their own eyes however they felt to do it if it feels right i'm going to do it and so they do it and because children of god in this room and in church across the world are ignorant to the word of god you have no concept of boundaries and y'all know what happens to a river that loses boundaries it floods communities destroys homes wrecks the world because it has no boundaries listen you if i if we put boundaries in our life and we allow the spirit of god to say, I want you to flow. I want you to provide life. I want you to have an impact on the world. But through these boundaries and let the word of God guide us and lead us to the hungry. Let the spirit of God lead us to the backslider. Let the spirit of God lead us to those that are hopeless and helpless without God. That is what boundaries do. They provide parameters in which we can operate. But that's not what your flesh wants. That's why if you're living in sin, every time I talk about your sin, you get mad at me. Listen, I've said it once and I'll say it a hundred times. I am too old to be your friend, okay? I have no interest in being any of y'all's friends. I love you to death, right? Don't get me wrong. I love you and I want to be friendly to you. But let's be honest, we ain't hanging out on Friday night unless there's some youth game night and I'm just trying not to pass out because I'm so tired. I'm just being real, okay? So we're, 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 my goal isn't to be your friend per se. My goal is to be a, a, a conductor, so to speak, with the help of the Holy Spirit to help you end up in a certain destination. And that destination is heaven. And if I notice you get off the path, I'm going to sound the alarm and I'm going to, I'm going to teach on it. I'm going to preach on it. Not because I'm mad at you, not because I want to get after you, because here's the thing, I was your age once. And if Jesus says I was tempted in all ways as you were, you better believe I was tempted, but yet Jesus remained without sin. I didn't. I was tempted just like you and I did just what you wanted to do. And I asked acted the way you wanted to act. I understand that. I'm not making permission for sin, but I'm trying to tell you I was a teenager once. And so I understand the feelings, the emotions of teenage living. So I'm trying to warn you. The youth leaders are trying to warn you. We're trying to make you understand that if you conform to the system of this world, there is consequence to your sin. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. Whatsoever a man sows, that also shall he reap. I don't get mad when I go out to my garden in the middle of July and I got a bunch of corn there because I recognize that I planted corn back in May and because I sowed it, I'm reaping it. What would be really perplexing to me, Brother Cody, if I dug a hole in the ground and planted a corn seed and nine months later, I had an apple tree. That would confuse me, but that's not the way it works because that is not the seed I sowed. And I don't understand why for the life of me, we want to sow fornication and ungodliness and unrighteous living and unsanctification. And we all of a sudden expect to reap the miracle working power of God in our life. That is not the way it works but listen y'all don't sow seeds of carnality don't sow let me help you right now don't sow seeds of jealousy gossiping backbiting hateful attitudes talking about people behind their back and get mad in 15 years because ain't nobody want to be your friend you sowed the seed it says, be not. 
conform. This indicates that there's a choice to be made. You and I have to make a choice to not conform. It's our decision to reject the norms and influences of this world in our daily life. Young people, listen to me. This is a daily choice. This is a choice you have to make every single day. And it's not just a daily choice. Sister Callie, it's every single moment when you pick up that phone and you want to go off, it's saying every single moment, I'm going to hold my thumb instead of my tongue nowadays. I'm going to hold my thumb and I'm not going to let it go. It's, it's every single day making a a choice. I will not conform because this is how a sinner would act. I will not do it. I will not engage in that conversation because a child of God ought not talk like that. I'll not go to that place because Jesus himself won't be found there. I'm not going to have that attitude because that is not the character and the nature of God. You have to have enough faith in your life to swim against the lazy river of this world. There's too many teenage Christians Sitting back on the inner tube of life, just flowing down the lazy river. Wherever this thing takes me is where I'm going to go. No gumption about them. No spiritual unction about them. But they sit there and they just flow with the rest of the teenagers. Just like everybody else. Blending in. Occasionally a little bit, a little bit of disruption. But at the end of the day, I'm just conforming. I'm going, your faith's got to be stronger than that young people. That salvation experience you have has got to be strong enough to get up off of that theater seat and walk out when their clothes come off. Your faith's got to be strong enough that when that music station comes on and they're taking the Lord's name in vain and talking about all sorts of ungodly living your face got to be strong enough to turn the dial to flip the switch to skip the song you've got to have enough faith that when the temptation comes to behave in a way that's not conducive to the spirit of God you've got to have enough faith to turn the other way. You got to have enough faith that when Potiphar's wife approaches you, take off, run, flee ye youthful lust, get out of there. Even if you got to face the prison, even if you got to face the pit, eventually God will acknowledge that you ran from that sin. And before long, you're going to be in the palace, friend of God. You'll be in a position of influence. Joseph would have never had the influence had he jumped in that bed with Potiphar's wife. But he ended up the influence that he was. Come on, somebody. This isn't in my sermon, but I feel this deep in my spirit tonight. Joseph had influence over an entire nation. Joseph ultimately had enough influence to save his family from famine. Why? Because I believe that 20 years before, he ran youthful lust. And yes, he experienced a time of loneliness. Yes, he experienced a time of isolation. Yes, he experienced a time that he was in the pit. He was in the prison. But one day, not too far in the future, God recognized his attempt to run from youthful lust and he ended up in a palace with all the influence he needed to impact the kingdom of God. Hallelujah. The Greek word here, do not be conformed, that, that phrase literally means we are to not allow outside influences. This is the problem with many Christians through ignorance of the word of God. They've not defined a healthy set of boundaries. We talked about it already. To know what's outside and what's inside. The word of God is what offers you and I boundaries in our life. David prayed in Psalms 119, God help me understand your commandments that I may set my mind to do them. We're talking about right thinking. Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed. How? By the renewing of your mind. That's what David said. God help me understand your word. Help me understand the commandments found in your God. That I may not get bent out of shape over them. That I might not think that God doesn't want me to have a good life and a good time. No. David said help me God understand your word and your precepts. Why? So I could put them in my mind. So I could set upon them. So I can meditate upon them. So I can line my life up with the word of God versus trying to line the word of God up with my life. Listen 
listen, you can leave this house of God tonight, find a different youth group next week, find a youth pastor to tell you that it's okay to fornicate and act the fool and do everything else. I promise you somewhere in the greater tri-state area, you'll find a youth pastor that'll tell you this, but one day you'll die and you'll end up in hell. And I know that's hard, but that's the reality of this. When you seek an entire life trying to find the word of God that'll line up with your style of living versus lining up your style of living with the word of God. If the world controls your thinking, friend, you're a conformer. But if the spirit is renewing your mind, then you're a transformer. The world operates their thinking based off of feeling. The problem with feeling is you make decisions based off of how do I feel today? How do I feel about my worship? How do I feel about my friends? How do I feel about my job? This type of living will never know the transforming power of God because it ignores the renewing of the mind. Our first question cannot be how do I feel, but rather what is true here? What does the word of God say about this? Listen, God doesn't care how you feel about the thing. He never asked your opinion when he inspired his spirit to have Paul write the word of God. God didn't check with you and your opinion about your living when he set the commandments of God. When he said, do not steal, God didn't give special exceptions for people who just like to steal. This is the word of God. So our first question cannot be, how do I feel about this? But rather, what's true here? What does the word of God say? Amen. The tragedy of conformity is that the church that once was a city on a hill not to be hidden, but shining bright before men, dims its light, dumbs down the message of salvation. That is the tragedy of conformity. The tragedy of conformity is that the church that once was the salt of the earth, meant to influence the world, loses its flavor and fails to influence the sinner to a better way of living. The tragedy of conformity is that when a sinner man or a sinner woman comes to the realization that the life they've been living will end in eternal disaster, that there's not a man or a woman of God who lives consecrated enough in a transformed manner before God to lead them to a better life in Christ Jesus. That is the tragedy of conformity. The tragedy is conformity of the, is that Christians will behave on their social media accounts like those who will split hell wide open while offering no evidence of love, joy, peace, or a spirit-filled life in any of their posts or interactions on social media. The tragedy of conformity is that the people of God engage in tit for tat, thinking they've cleared their heart and they're glad they got it off their chest only at the end of it all to break the heart of Jesus and ruin their testimony forever. We must stop this. It is not the character of Christ or the testimony of Jesus. The Bible demands more from you. Hallelujah. The Bible, the word of God demands more of those claiming to be transformed by Calvary. The tragedy of conformity is that when everyone else is bending and bowing to this world, that there's no modern-day Shadrach, Meshach, or Abednego who will not bow and face the fiery furnace only to have God see them through as a testimony to the world and their friends around them. The tragedy of conformity is that verses like Acts chapter 17, verse 6, where they turn the world upside down, cease to exist because there's not enough transformed teenage Christians, believers, to make it happen. The tragedy of conformity is that when a young man or a woman who has been hurt by this world comes to the people of God looking for hope and help only to witness some backbiting, gossip, hatred, infighting that they're trying to escape from the world. 
The tragedy of conformity is that Christians move from children to teens to adults to enter into the secular workforce without any gumption of a transformed life. This is the tragedy of conformity. Everywhere their feet tread remains unchanged and just as lost as it was before they got there. The tragedy must be avoided. The consequences are eternal and damning both for the lost and the supposed believer. Notice I said supposed believer. Matthew chapter 7 says, Many will say unto me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? In thy name have we not cast out devils? And in thy name have we not been many wonderful works? And Jesus said, I'll confess unto them, Depart from me, ye that work sin. I never even knew you. How do we begin to know God? Be transformed. Don't be conformed. There's a tragedy of conformity. Rather, be transformed. The Greek word here is metamorphosis. It's the same thing that a caterpillar goes through. Come on, anybody ever seen a beautiful monarch butterfly? Come on, that thing will spend all spring and fall eating to wrap itself in a cocoon, and there's a change that begins to happen in the early spring on the inside of that cocoon. Ultimately, metamorphosis happens, and something comes out of that cocoon that's more beautiful than that that went in. Friend of God, we need to wrap ourselves in the Word of God. We need to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. Cast down every vain thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. Don't think like the world. Act like the world. Consume their, their, their entertainment, their way of thinking, their way of behaving. Don't be, but wrap yourself up in the Word and the power and the passion and the presence of God. Go through the process of metamorphosis because God wants to see you blossom into something beautiful that will have an impact on this world, but only if we are transformed. Listen, you can clean up your outward man all you want, but until the mind is renewed, the heart will never truly be transformed. Transformation is an inside-out thing not an outside in. You can scrub the makeup off. You can lengthen the sleeves. You can take off the earrings. You can do everything and anything you want, and you can look the part. But until that heart, friend, has been washed by the blood, till it's been made white as snow, you're wasting your time. It's a work of the heart. You'll never truly experience transformational change until you open your heart to him. There's a story in the Bible about a man named Lazarus who had died. And Jesus showed up. I'm really paraphrasing the story here. Four days he had been dead. They had already had the funeral. They'd already essentially moved on. They had rolled the stone in front of the tomb. Jesus showed up recognizing that a change was needed for Lazarus. He was dead, but God wanted him to live. God wanted him to live. And when Jesus showed up to a dead situation, it doesn't matter what the natural thing says. It's not a matter of what's possible and impossible because God does not operate in the realm of possibility, but he operates in the realm of purpose. And Lazarus' purpose wasn't done yet, so Jesus said, roll away the stone. And they rolled the stone away. And Jesus shouted in the midst of that tomb, Lazarus, come forth. And that which was dead lived again. There was a transformation that took place. The transformation would have never happened if they left that stone there. He said, roll away the stone. And so tonight in closing... I'm telling you, young people, I know because of what I feel in the spirit right now, there are those who need to yield to the transforming power of God under the sound of my voice tonight. But you're never going to if you keep that stone in front of your heart. You're never going to yield to that transforming power of God if you sit there stone cold faced, unresponsive to the work of the spirit, not desiring to roll the stone away. But I believe if you'll be bold enough tonight to roll that stone away, Jesus himself 
will speak to that dead situation and say, live again. God's not changed his mind about you because of the mistake you made last week. God's not changed his mind about you because you failed. God's not changed his mind about you because you maybe shouldn't have done it, but you did it. God still loves you. He still cares about you. But the reality is this. Will you roll the stone away? Thanks for listening. If you were blessed or encouraged, go ahead and subscribe to the Impact Podcast and share it with a friend to bless them too. Connect with us on Instagram at impactym. And remember, you can have as much of God as you want. 